0: Hello once again, my name is Darcy Norman and I'm thrilled today to bring you the third part of the Reclaiming Educational Technology series, uh, which were a series of interviews recorded at the University of Mary Washington after the Open Education 2014 conference. Uh, Interviews were conducted by myself and David Kernahan. Uh, and video and audio recorded by Andy Rush. Uh, I edited them together into a series of themes. This is the third one, episode three, part three, I guess. Uh, flexible and open, and it features commentary from Audrey Waters from Hack Education, from Tim Owens, who was at the University of Mary Washington and is now at Reclaim Hosting, uh, from Ben Wordmuller, who is the co-founder of Known, which is some software that was actually uh, uh, at the heart of the indie web movement as one of the first prototype Standalone indie web applications. So some really interesting context there. And Jim Groom, who was at the University of Mary Washington and is now at Reclaim Hosting. Uh, without further ado, here is part three: flexible and open.
1: My name is Audrey Waters. I'm a writer. I write about education technology. I mean, and there are these other there are these other practices that higher education, in particular, has adopted that are sort of counter to, I think, the ethos of the web, right? So we put, we, we publish our research in proprietary closed academic journals that cost, you know, that cost our libraries tens of thousands of dollars a year to subscribe to, that the articles aren't openly available. And when they are, they're written in a language that's, I mean, it's like the academic language that's, you know, I mean, I think it's English in our case, but it's sort of written in a way that's really hard hard to understand and it's not, the information isn't accessible. So we don't do a lot of the public facing PR that, you know, that companies like Udacity, for example, um, the technology sector in general has a huge marketing, has a huge marketing arm. I mean, and I'm not even counting the journalists that just rewrite the press releases for, I mean, that a lot of what happens in silicon valley is hype and marketing around their stuff that it's not actually a bunch of engineers just making cool things it's a bunch of marketers trying to convince us that what they've built is really amazing the project that i'm working on that i'm excited about is i'm i've been doing a lot of research into the history of education technology which is something that i, I mean i just don't think we Talk about very often. I think that particularly in Silicon Valley, which likes to imagine that there is no history, there's only like the now and the future. Um, you know, the Silicon Valley is very much interested in this planned obsolescence, right? You buy and you buy an iPhone, and then in like six months' time, it's out of date, right? And they try to convince you that my goodness, how could you, how dare you use such, you know, outmoded technology time to buy a new iphone so it's very much history is really not something that 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 silicon valley is interested in so i've been looking at what you know what are some of the what are some of the roots of the of the technologies that we adopt in terms of the development of education psychology intelligence testing standardized testing Um, how do we end up with, with these with these technological practices that predate computers Right, why, why does the multiple choice, where did the multiple choice question come from, right? Why does it have four? Why does it have four choices? Um, how did that get hard-coded, you know, now, now literally with, with code, but how do how those sorts of practices get sort of hard-coded into education so that when, when we make things digital, we don't actually address those underlying modes. We just sort of replicate them with flashier graphics, and on different devices but we don't actually ask sort of what's this legacy that we carry forward with us again that you know t- turn students into objects to be shaped rather than individuals that have a, should have a voice and a say in what that looks like.
2: My name is Tim Owens uh, I'm from here in Fredericksburg Virginia and I work for the University of Mary Washington yeah, it's, it's been a really interesting path. You know, we we played around with the idea of hippie hosting and the server co-op, uh, and we moved uh, with Omena One's Own at Umb- University of Mary Washington and, and later with other institutions um, playing around with the same idea of the server in a box that uh, – that everybody got their own space that their own as jim would call it often this, you get your own slice of a server well that that idea starts to fall away a little bit with these newer technologies now it might be a virtual server uh, it might be multiples you know we moved umw blogs to amazon web services and in fact when you go to the website you're you're dropped into one of at the moment four different servers don't know which one you're on doesn't matter right so uh it's an interesting world as you start to break away into the different pieces and it's not one box to fit everything. It's sort of uh, breaking things down into the individual needs. I need Apache for this thing. I need a database over here for this thing. And instead of trying to to uh fit this square peg into that round hole uh we're starting to you know organize things in many different ways you know there's a newer technology um newer i did you know it's new to me it's probably been out for you know at least a couple years but um, people are really picking up on it called docker and the idea behind docker is it's virtualization technology uh but instead of the uh the virtualization technology that we've used up until this point is creating entire servers in sort of a virtualized box, which is fine, and it's great because it's hardware independent, but at the same time, we're still taking all of these moving pieces and we're putting them all into one single thing. The idea of Docker is that you have containers, and so you have your Apache container, uh, you have uh, you know, your uh, files container, and your database container. Uh, Maybe you have multiple Apache containers uh, running in different places. And why would you do that? Uh, Because you can mix and match things and sort of architect something really interesting and make it really easy. You can duplicate the I don't need to have multiple operating system containers because all of those other services can rely on that single operating system container. Uh, But now when I want to upgrade the operating system, I don't have to worry about whether or not uh, these other containers are going to freak out, or its things are going to get overwritten. Uh, you know, I can, and that there's this whole community of sharing, which is important too. I've seen that uh, a whole lot with the Docker community, which is something that I'm following pretty closely. You look on GitHub, and people are creating Docker images on all kinds of things and putting it out there. Hey, this is uh, WordPress with Nginx, and it, it runs on Google PageSpeed and and loads lightning fast, and it has a. Uh, You know, it has a varnish backend and things that it's like, in order to tell someone how to install that, uh, used to be, you know, like, oh, I'll create a wiki doc, it'll be about seven pages long, Um, you're going to need some Unix experience. And now it's sort of, you run like, you know, one command, and it fires up multiple containers, it breaks all those things into different pieces and fires them up. And so, and then if they update it with like, hey, we got a new version of this, we're doing things a little differently, it's just like rebuild, you know, rebuild this container and, and, and things start firing up in different places. So, uh, you know, it, it's really exciting to, to see that move away from the one big thing to the multiple little things that I need and the ability to mix and match them and stack them um, as I see fit rather than... Um, trying to, to fit all of that into one scenario. And then what I might want is not something that someone else wants, uh, you know. or there might be limitations within the technology here, um, and that's okay, right? Uh, I think in some aspects there's some student agency to that, right? So the, the student in, who wants to do X, Y, or Z, the answer isn't, well, you could do that, but we got uh, an ABC box. We didn't get an XYZ box, and to do that, we'd have to procure something different. It runs all this other different stuff. Now we can start to get to playing to saying yes all the time. Just yeah, sure. You want to run that? Sure. Um, Oh, you want to run Ghost over here and Discourse over there? And you want to run WordPress multi-site over there, but you're really worried about uh, making sure that it's up all the time? Sure, yeah, like whatever you want, we can do it because these containers exist and this virtualization technology makes it extremely cheap and fast uh, to fire things up on the fly. Uh, It becomes a lower barrier of entry because, you know, there's no... um, there's no failure here. Uh, there's there's no danger. Uh, you know, I can fire things up and I can make them go away. And you know, I haven't wasted actual resources. I've I've wasted you know pieces of a server that can expand and contract as the needs do. Um, the big thing for me is reclaim hosting. Um, reclaim hosting was born, uh, as I said, out of uh, hippie hosting in many regards. So you know, it, it seems wild, but it was you know. A, almost three years ago that we started thinking about this idea of the server co-op and then we took those same ideas uh, from you know that little hippie hosting thing and i said we could do it with students too why not so we did the domain of one's own pilot which grew into an institutional program here uh and we talk about that at other other conferences and people would say that's that's great but you know in, in typical fashion the biggest criticism was that's great for you but i could never do that um And, you know, Jim and I last year sat down and we're talking and spitballing different ideas. And he said, I really, really want you to just like, you know, set up something where other people could do this, too. I know you can do it. And I thought, well, sure, like, if, you know, the money's there. And he said, money's not there. Like, don't worry about the money, <laughs> you know. So uh, so we started playing around with it. Jim had just gotten a Shuttleworth Foundation uh, flash grant. And he said, we got a little bit of money here. Could we build on that? And I said, that'll get us by for a couple months. Um, so we did, you know, we thought, well, let's, for a year, Let's allow other faculty to just play with this. We won't worry about the money. So, uh, you know, we only charged for the domain. We didn't charge for the hosting. We made it as cheap as possible and and still try to make it as cheap as possible just to let other people play with this. The conversations that I've had from so many different people with that, it was just Open my world to, to so many different institutions, so many different faculty doing amazing stuff with their students. And it's a constant joy for me to get to talk to people and help them out. And what a breath of fresh air for them. Uh, you know, they're coming from other places where they say things like, oh, I, I, I used to want to do something like this with GoDaddy, and they were no help whatsoever. Or I could never do this because for my students, like, it was like $20 a month, and that's a ton of money for them at the time. Time. You know, you might as well be charging a hundred dollar textbook for a semester. Uh, you know, and and they couldn't justify it. And and now we're able to start working with them to think about these possibilities. You lower those barriers to entry. Uh, you know, and you try to make it as easy as possible. Uh, and people jump on board, and and when I get to work with those people and help them imagine the stuff they're doing, it goes beyond anything that I've done at DTLT. I, you know, like I I love the the work that I've done at DTLT and continue to do with the faculty here, and and for me, it's like amplify that. You know, to infinity, and that's and you know that's the pleasure that I get of of getting to work with all of these different people and think about the projects they're working on. I was work, talking to an institution just the other day who was inspired by DS One Hundred and Six Radio, but he thought I talked. You know, he said I've talked to my IT department. They think I'm out of my mind. They don't even know what an internet radio station would look like, much less that they have the resources to support it. You know, and you, know, I'm able to say, yeah, yes. You know. Yes, let's do that. Let's let's play around with it. Let's fire up a server, you know, and let's play around with that software and see if it might do what you want it to do. So, getting to getting those opportunities to just uh, play around with stuff, um, play around with different ideas, you know, with different uh, faculty from all over the world, uh, has been really exciting.
3: My name's Ben Woodmuller. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Known. And um, Known is a single website for your, for all your content. So what we're trying to do is empower students to actually publish all their coursework, their notes, their ideas, everything they feel comfortable with to a space that they control rather than a space that's controlled either by administration or by some external vendor. So I think it's important for everybody. Um, you know we've all lost control of our data and our profiles to um, to companies, that actually a really small handful of companies that control all of our conversations. But for students it's important for a whole bunch of reasons. One of the clearest is that actually the learning management systems, which is usually a student's uh, interaction with learning technology, unfortunately, um, they're really designed around administration rather than learning at all. And so what we'll often see, for example, is once a class is over, you know, they're, forced to, they're forced to use the learning management system in their class to begin with. But once a class is over, it's often deleted which means that the student actually doesn't have any way to build on any of that knowledge as they continue their learning journey. So by publishing to their own space, they get to keep that knowledge, they get to keep reflecting on all the things they've done at the institution, uh, and they can choose what happens to it. So they can keep it when they graduate even and continue to build on it. And I think that actually is... It's better not just in terms of software because you get to control who, you know, mines your data and who uses it for profit, but also for life. You know, you get to build on all the things you've written about, all the things you've reflected as you carry on. I think there are, there is room for closed spaces as well as open spaces. I think actually it's about control uh, and, you know, both the individual and the institution should be able to define what their community looks like and what, uh, you know, the connected world around them looks like and how they interact with it. Um, I think the thing about the LMS slash VLE, in the old days we were calling them CMSs, which is horrendously confusing. Um, The the thing about all of those is they still have a place. I mean, Known, for example, doesn't replace the the LMS, you know, not by a mile. Uh, And what it can do is sort of sit alongside it or sort of as a layer on top of it that provides a more personal uh, experience in addition to all the security and administration that that software provides. Um, I think... Being able to take small, you know, simple pieces of software and kind of string them together uh, to form kind of a suite of tools that is suitable for you, that's a, that's a huge deal. I mean, people have been talking about personal learning environments for quite a long time. It's it's important and I think more possible because of the open web than ever before to take all these tools and create an ecosystem that is yours. The most important thing that we're we're adding to known is... You know, right now, it's a tool for publishing and for representing yourself online. Um, that's only half the story. It's possibly less than half the story. What we're working on is the ability, you know, for it to be the gateway to your entire community online. So you can connect to other known sites. You can connect to other sites that are running other software like WordPress, uh, other platforms that pr- produce feeds or uh, use the web technologies that we've based our product on. Um, so, you know, it's not about creating a known based social network. It's about creating actually a social network that works like the web, where every node is independent, but you can all connect together seamlessly. And that's huge. I mean, that's huge in education because suddenly, I mean, the current, the, what I call the silo social networks, places like Twitter and Facebook, they're actually filtering your feed. They're choosing what data, what information you get to see, uh, which in an educational context, is horrible because obviously, you know, you're connecting people to people to learn, you're connecting people to share research. um, And, you know, you need to have that direct connection. You need to have actually a proper communication line to them. Uh, And so we're hoping to provide that. That's one of the reasons we're doing it. And another reason is really it's time for social networking to evolve um, and really to work like email where you can choose your own provider uh, but still interact completely seamlessly without having to care what provider, the person you're communi- communicating with, users?
4: Right now, I mean, I'm, I'm excited about what we're doing with Reclaim Your Domain or Domain of One's Own. Or, it's got a lot of different names. Uh, Reclaim Hosting is another kind of outshoot of this or offshoot of this, is the idea. And it kind of came to me and, and crystallized to me a little bit from today because I've been through four of these Domain of One's Own or Reclaim Your Domain sessions now. And things that are coming back again and again are questions of um, Amazon Web Services, this kind of virtualized space for doing these things and controlling um, notions of infrastructure in a very distributed way. Um, GitHub, this idea of a kind of collective sharing, versioning software to also start running an infrastructure on top of a third-party service in ways that are just almost alien to how we're thinking about EdTech. And another one that's interesting is APIs. And what's great about them is I don't understand any of them. Like, i can come to everyone for the last two years, four times, and every time I'm like, okay, I think I understand what an API is, or I think I understand how GitHub works, or I think I get the idea of virtualized servers, and I never do. But I know that it's important, and I know that as a group we both have to understand the difficulty of the tech and what it means, and I think why DTLT might be particularly good at this or might be particularly interested in this is that because we don't necessarily live in that world, we spend the time and energy to try and translate how it's significant for our institution. And so right now I'm really interested in getting back into the work of translating some of that stuff. And it's hard because we're, we have a lot of projects going already and we have a building to take care of and we have faculty to support. But I think carving out the playtime And that's where that play might be interesting is carving out the playtime to understand it and do it in a way that's actually through metaphor or through analogy or through some fun, stupid thing that no one ever thought to, you know, talk about Amazon Web Services in relationship to the wire is a good thing. And it's some, A, that's fun, but B, that starts to break down um, some of the kind of fetishizing of the tech and also obscuring of it. And usually the fetishizing and obscuring it is for a different reason, a political reason, um, a reason to kind of keep people who don't understand it maybe in the dark around what choices you're making as an institution and why. And we want to really be as open as possible about the decisions we make and about the technology that's available and around the real politics that drive them. And I think when you do those three things and you do them well uh, as a group – You'll at least have a a kind of, you know, a dialogue at any given time around the state of tech now, because more and more, it's inescapable for a university to pretend like they can't engage deeply in how the technology is defining their mission. And a group like ours is an investment in actually kind of thinking through that. And one of the things that made me most proud, and you talked about it, like, I was really proud when the president reached out to us and said, what's this whole MOOC thing? And they had six people who had thought deeply about it and who had thought, like, really critically but not dismissively about it. And, you know, we were able to share with them what we knew. And we were a resource that they had been paying for and investing in. And I think it paid off, paid off just in how they understand themselves as the liberal arts, the digital liberal arts or liberal arts that's dedicated to thinking critically about this stuff but also to investing a group of people who can help them make a path forward in a time where everyone's saying education's over, higher ed's doomed, the apocalypse is now. And I'm really proud of the fact that we can kind of tone down that rhetoric and have a longer view of the field and of what's possible moving forward because higher ed's not going away, education is not dead. Um, but how we use this and the choices we make now matter for the next generation of students, which is where our attention should be. You know, let's get away from this hype, and let's start refocusing on what it means for our students to understand the web, to understand their relationship to these third-party services, to understand who they are online, to understand the implications of digital and identity, to understand questions of how they are a product now of a whole new ecosystem of consumerism. You know, that's what we did in American studies and history and English and all these other humanities. And the great thing about tech is it's a field of the sciences, the social sciences, and the humanities at once, rolled into a field that's in some way still marginal enough that they can have its doctor oblivions, because no one's paying attention. And I think that's a, it's a beautiful moment to be exploring that stuff and be both within disciplines and outside of them. And it's cool that our university trusts us enough uh, to, A, fund us, but to be turned to us when big issues arise that really shake the foundations of higher ed. So I guess I'm proud of that.